Welcome back to the Todd Duncan Podcast. This is where success happens. A member of the industry syndicate, Todd's goal is to transform your business and life through deeper connections, higher trust, and proven strategies to help you win and give you your best life ever. Welcome everybody to the Prime People Podcast. We are very, very excited. Today we have Mr. Todd Duncan on. If you don't know who Todd Duncan is, he is a serial entrepreneur. He's literally coached over 5 million people worldwide. He has, I think, 17 best-selling books, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, on and on and on. He came via a really good friend of mine. Shout out to Mr. Dustin Brome from the Massive Agent Podcast. If you know anything about real estate, industry, syndicate, any of those things, you know that Dustin's the man. And if he's linked to Dustin, he is family. Shout out to Ray Allen. I saw you as we were ramping up. Ray Allen also runs the Bearded Men of Real Estate podcast. So you can see we have a community of absolute killers. Today is one of those days that is very, very special because this will transcend the real estate industry. We do this podcast because we know that these principles will apply to all businesses. And today's episode is really going to help you understand that if you want to build a business on trust and building deeper relationships, this is the man that you want to talk to. Little bit of housekeeping, some exciting news. We actually are dropping the very first action guide. So we took one of our conversations with some incredible YouTubers and disseminated it into an action guide for you to get started on YouTube. You can go to justinconico.com slash insiders. We should be dropping that tomorrow. I think the team is working on it, but without ado, we are gonna play the intro, get the show started, and we'll be back with Todd in two seconds. Welcome to the Prime People Podcast, where we cover all things that got us to where we are today, our team building strategies, the marketing and sales tips that we've learned through thousands of transactions, productivity tips, ways to really just hold yourself accountable to accomplishing what you want to accomplish, and all things content creation, personal development, and not to mention we have some of the best guests on the planet. And one of them is with us right now. Welcome to the podcast, Todd. Hey, Justin, good to be with you guys, and uh, it's an honor to hang out with you for a while. Dude, I was reading your bio. I am interested, so give me a little bit of the backstory. So you're Spider-Man, you got bit by a radioactive spider. How did you become Mr. Todd Duncan? Uh, I think it was a God thing. Uh, that, that'd be the first thing I would say. And then it was a dad thing. I was actually in medical school and uh, I was flunking out and, and uh, my dad said, uh, I'm not going to pay for out-of-state tuition if you can't get your grades up. And uh, the next semester, I didn't get my grades up. And uh, so he called me home and I remember a driveway conversation with my dad. He said, you know, you don't have to be a physician. I think you're really good at business. Um, you should reconsider your major. And I said, okay. And he said, you know, there's three great business schools in California. USC is one of them. Stanford is one of them. I'm not paying for either one of those, but Cal State Fullerton has a really great business school. So I switched from medicine to business. I graduated with a 3.9. And uh, three months after I graduated, we went to a barbecue that my parents' friends were hosting. The guy happened to own a real estate company and happened to own a mortgage company and uh, happened to be my little league coach. So uh, very familiar. And so he looked at me and he said, so what are you going to do now that you're out of university? And I said, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I love the finance angle that I, I'm in. I love the marketing angle I'm in, but I'm not sure. And he says, you'd be great at mortgage. You'd be great in real estate. I've got both companies. Do you want to consider that trek? Uh, long story short, that's what I considered. And uh, 30 days later, I was uh, buckled in and uh, the rest, they say, is history. And uh, 12 years later, we had helped finance, list and sell over 6,000 properties. And uh, yeah, here we are. We started a company to try to create the same impact that, uh, that I found early in my career and then started teaching others. And one thing led to another. And to your point earlier, that's we now have 5 million clients around the globe that we've personally mentored or coached or who have come through our learning platform. So it's fun. It's fun to be with guys like you. Uh, I love this idea of prime people, you know, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So that's how I got in it. There was like no massive strategy. I didn't think like when I was five, I want to be a mortgage professional or a real estate professional. One thing led to the, the other and here we are. I love that. And Ray Allen is a dear friend of mine. I mentioned him earlier, right? He's read all your books. He posted that in the comments. So right. I'm actually, Ray, I'm going to be sending you the link in our back channel. If you want to join the stream, by all means, 
um, feel free to jump in. You can ask Todd a question live. I, to me, it's all about community, right, Todd? And I, I started Prime People years ago with my friend Tommy Caldwell, um, owned a really cool business in town, and he was in the health and fitness space. But the same principles that he had in his business, I was applying to what I was doing in real estate. I was with a lawyer and an incredible entrepreneur yesterday, and they're doing some stuff in the legal space that really, it transcends industries, right? And I think that's something that I find interesting about you, right? Because you're, you can be so zeroed in on the real estate space if you so chose, but you're really showing people that you're taking the principles and optics of things that helped you grow in a sales career and applying it globally to different industries. So can you extrapolate that a little bit? I want people to understand how they can think bigger than, well, that just works for a real estate agent when they're in a different industry. Yeah, look, so principles are principles, right? And uh, if a principle is true and, and right, it's a irrefutable principle. And what irrefutable means is that you cannot question it. Uh, I'll give you an example. So one principle that transcends any world business um, vertical or, or country or anything is principle one, which would be everything can be improved. So the best real estate agents, the best mortgage professionals, the best business entrepreneurs understand that everything can be improved. And so we never want to stop moving towards betterment. We, we, we don't want to think that at some point we've arrived. We, we have the world coming in at us. We have our own skill sets that may or may not be completely dialed in. And uh, at the end of the day, with change comes change needed. And so I've got to figure out like, okay, so what do I do differently? I have a doctor that went from netting $242,000 in commissions to $5 million in commissions in 12 years, following those principles, building teams, delegating the right way, having, you know, tied in comp to performance and growth and, and, and really getting out of like, there's about 15 different procedures you can do as a dentist, but which two make you the most money? and which two bring you the most joy. And so he said, my, for me, it's like, it's graphing and it's gum work and it's uh, it's periodential repair. That's where I get paid the most. And I said, so what are you doing with your time? And he's, you know, he's drilling, he's filling, he's putting cavities in. And I said, dude, you've got to, you got to, if you're going to get, if you're going to get big, you got to do less things really, really well. Again, right. Everything can be improved. The thing that can be improved for him is what procedures is he going to do? And then if he decides that I'm going to throw it all in on those procedures, then how good am I at those two procedures? And until I'm a 10, then there's room to grow, right? So that's a principle and they, they go everywhere. Another principle is failure is necessary for success. And if real estate agents and mortgage professionals and business owners don't understand that failure is actually a good thing. And the faster we fail at business disciplines, the faster we grow. And if we can start to really look at the positivity of failure, especially if everything can be improved, because if we're going to improve it, we're probably going to fail in our effort to improve it. But the people that don't get on in the world are the people that are afraid of failure. And by not taking risk, they create risk. So the principles are universal, but I, I, I do love, love, love talking to real estate professionals and banking and mortgage professionals. It's where I grew up. But uh, yeah, principles apply no matter what you do. What yeah, you do. fascinating conversation. Very timely as well, too. I was sitting in a room with a gentleman that was probably worth half a billion dollars. Um, and I was asking him very simple questions, right? Like you get around somebody like that, you just listen. And it was around exactly that. You know, what are the greatest lessons you've learned? And this guy told me he went to zero twice. And he's like, people just don't take risk and they don't think big enough, right? He's like, you want to get into real estate investing? Don't buy a duplex to figure out how you can buy the Scotia Plaza, right? right. And he bought a hundred million dollar company with nothing. Like he didn't have money back then. He found the yeah. deal, reverse engineered the deal, then went and found the money. And he said, people just, they, they have this habit of not doing the work on themselves to understand what they want to accomplish. And it paralyzes them or the fear paralyzes them from going out to accomplish it. And then they're defined by their successes, right? I was looking at him yesterday, simple Apple watch, you know, you'd see him at the grocery store, you'd have no idea who this guy was. And I thought of a story I heard recently about Jay-Z and Jay-Z used to wear all the bling and the chains and everything. And now that he's a billionaire, it's black t-shirt and that's it. You doesn't have any signs of wealth. And I think there's two different types of people in entrepreneurship. There's people that want to do it so that they can turn around to their buddies and say, look, I own this company or look, I have these things. And then there's other people that like you and like this guy I talked to yesterday, they don't even really feel like they're working, right? Like they manage to hack the system and it's like they're on holidays and they do stuff like this. And yes, they're working. They're probably putting in more hours than your average employee would per se, but they actually have found a way of looking at their business as what is the thing that's yielding me the most that I actually enjoy, not what makes me the most money. What is the thing that yields me the most profit and the best relationships? Yeah. So to, to the entrepreneurs that are watching that, this is going to be my question for you. 
how do you do that journey of self-discovery when, when you're trying to make money and pay the bills and, and find out what you're passionate about? So I think, I think making the money is a byproduct of a, of a different decision. I think if you go into business with the idea that I'm going to make a lot of money, you're probably not. Um, when you go into business with the idea that I have a passion around doing something and, you know, a lot of people have told me that I'm really good at it. And if I execute on that and do that well, uh, the money will follow. One of the, one of the, um, transition moments in my life was I was in my 12th year of, of being a real estate broker and doing loans. And I went to this massive event and uh, went with my title title partner. And uh, at the end of the day, I had I had looked at what this guy had done and I had spoken. Maybe my biggest audience was a couple hundred people. There was about 3000 people in that room that day. And I remember him talking about this idea that if you wake up every day and you know your gift and you execute that gift well, and then you build an insulation around you so that your time and the pressures that creep in and the, the tasks that are inefficiency and things like that, when, when you zone in that way, you'll never work a day in your life. And I found that to be true for me as a mortgage professional and real estate broker. I, I got really clear really on that all I had to do was connect with you. All I had to do, was, whether you're a seller, a buyer, a speculator, an investor, it didn't matter. All I had to do was connect with you and, and ask you some questions that showed you that I really cared more about this than I did the building or the house or anything like that. And so I think that's a decision that people need to make. And I, I, I was told early on that you, you have two ways to make money. One is you can do a lot of transactions or two is you can build a few really, really strong relationships. And what my mentor said is he said, transactions will make you a living, relationships will make you a fortune. And I, I bought that. I bought that hook, line and sinker. And I believe that that's why in 12 years with 14 real estate agents, we were able to do 6,000 real estate transactions. That's the simple truth. If I connect with you, we have chemistry, you like me, I like you, we're going to have conversations and we're going to build relationship forever. And this is where people really, really miss the, the part of the question is making money, right? If, if I'm a real estate professional and I have 200 clients and I've transacted, you know, one transaction with at least every one of those 200, um, you know, I could basically say over the next five years, if I love on those 200, if I'm in touch with those 200, if I celebrate their birthdays and celebrate their anniversaries and, and really build relationship, what if I could get for every person in that database, 200 people, what if in um, a five-year period, I could get four more transactions, whether they're another one for that primary borrower or seller, or maybe it's a referral, or maybe it's a second property or an investor. It doesn't matter. But what if 200 people could produce four more transactions in five years? And, you know, if the average sales price of a home is $450,000, you know, agency fees are two, two and a half per side, three. I don't know exactly how it is in every part of the world. But at the end of the day, that's, you know, that's like thirteen dollars or $14,000. So if I take $13,000 and times it by four transactions in five years, all of a sudden you can see that I'm, a, I'm at about $58,000. Well, let's times that by 200. And now all of a sudden I have a $10 million commissionable gross closed commissionable book of business because I'm focusing on relationship. And so relationship is better than transacting. And if I have high trust in a relationship, I'll get all the transactions. And we're not even talking, Justin, about activating a massive referral campaign instead of this traditional lead gen campaign. So I think that's that's what it's at. But you got to love what you do, man. You got to wake up, love what you do. And then if you love it, you're going to you're going to be the best at it. If you suck at something and you're trying to get good at it and you don't have the DNA to be good at it, um, working on a weakness is a colossal waste of time. You can take the same amount of time you're working on a weakness, apply that time to working on a strength and get an X factor on that. So that's what I find is important about making money. Let it be the byproduct of excellence. I feel like we're brothers, right? You talk about community and trust. Like I said, Dustin and I go way back. And I do think that that community led to this conversation would led to proximity of maybe people I know, people you know. I know there's collaborations to be had in the future for the both of us, but it speaks to identifying talent and people that you want to be in your ecosystem. I think of a guy that started working here is incredible at cold calling, banged out over 50 deals in eight months as a brand new agent because he was very zeroed in on this. Cold calling is my strength. He came from a $14 billion recruiting company that that's what he was trained to do. 
right? I attract business, right? I'm that guy that I don't cold call. I, most of my calls come because of relationships of exactly what you said. And, and I've always looked at real estate as the long game, right? I've looked at it as I don't care about being the number one agent at the number one brokerage in the city because the metrics of those we know in the industry don't really matter. People can skew right. metrics to look however they want. What I'm building is a business that is going to be foundationally undefeatable where the relationships that you said, the people, the stories, the things that I know about them, the access that we have to their life, the access they have to our life and our community, the real wealth doesn't come from the transactions. It comes from the depth of the relationships that you make with people. And I think that's a big part of this conversation. Before we do that, you know, one of my favorite people that jumped on, I want to give him a little bit of love. I'm going to add him to the stream. This is Ray Allen. He's super excited. Ray, you got a question for Mr. Todd Duncan? Ray. Hey, how's it going? Awesome, man. I love the beard. No, nah, thank you very much. Uh, serious. <laughs> so it's so funny for me to meet you in this way, because when I was in college, uh, let's see, it's 2002. I read, I can't remember if it was Time Traps first or High Trust Selling, but I read that one. And my dad, my dad had was always putting good people in front of me, like Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and all that. And so he said, Ray, you've got to read this one. So I read that one. And then a couple of years later, I read the next one because I was so focused in sales. And what's funny is I had no idea, and you probably alluded to it in the in the text when you were writing, but I didn't pick up on it because I wasn't looking for that. But at the time, I, I wasn't in real estate. I was in sales. And I had no idea that you kind of went the real estate direction or you had that in your background. So really cool now that I'm in real estate. I have my own offices and all that kind of stuff. And that's how I met Justin. Uh, was through the real estate stuff. So I'm super, super happy to be here with you today. Thanks, Justin, for bringing me on. Um, I do have one question for you, though. In, uh, let's see, it was the, which one has the law of the, there was high trust selling has all the laws, right? Right, 14. Yes. Are there any of those laws that you look back today and say, you know what, due to the changing of the seasons or the changing time or how much we've all advanced because back then like we had blackberries right it was a very different world social media was different internet was different are there any of those laws that you look back and say number one yes this one of all of them applies even more so than now and then this other one has to be different or you have to change how you look at it because of how society and how we have advanced in sales or just in business in general yeah. <clears throat> so um, the, the answer that comes to mind immediately is um, because I wrote the book with the idea that these laws would be timeless principles. There's not one law in that book today out of all 14 laws that does not apply. Um, every single one of them, whether we're delivering service with a, a human one to one touch or we're delivering service through a technology touch with humanity in the conversation, there's not one of the laws that that needs to be changed for the current times. Um, the first law is the law of the iceberg and the law of the iceberg says the truest measure of your success is invisible to your clients. Every single person who wants to succeed at their very, very best has to reach very, very deep and understand why am I doing what I'm doing in the first place? And if I can start to realize that, um, and, and it's it's a little bit more modern today, this whole idea of why it might even be overused. But when that book was written, knowing your why was like a new idea. And, and when you know what is important to you and why it's important to you, then all 13 of the other laws are more easily implemented. But if you don't know that, you're not able to maintain the motivation and the edge and the focus to, to really make things happen. There's a law in high trust selling called the law of the hourglass. And the law of the hourglass is make your moves before your time runs out. Um, that law applied in 1950, 1975, 2000, 2015, 2020. It's applying right now. You know, you only have limited hours in the day and the very, very best performers are realizing that I've got to make less moves more consistently that produce greater revenue if I want to scale. That law will never change. Uh, law 14 is the law of the encore. And the law of the encore simply states that the louder the applause, okay, the greater the performance, the louder the applause. That applies today. There wasn't such a thing as a five-star scale when Hytro Selling was written. There's, there wasn't such a thing as net promoter score when Hytro Selling was written, but there was such a thing as creating an encore experience for your client. And, you know, if the performance is great, okay, then the applause is going to be huge and that activates the referrals. 
So the, 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 not, not one of the laws has changed how we do it. Like today, um, the law of the bullseye middle of the book says, um, you're better off doing business with the right prospect than any prospect. And the greatest frustration that people in business have is doing business with people that there's not this likability, there's not this chemistry together. And, um, and then furthermore, it's about really getting clear on the power of relationship. Like, would I rather, if I'm a mortgage professional, would I rather have 10 real estate agents that refer 10 buyers a month to me and I do a great job for all 10 buyers? Or would I rather have two agents that refer five buyers to me a month? Would that make everything easier and more profitable? Or if I really understood stood the bullseye, you know, could I have one agent that refers me 10 buyers a month? That's the law of the bullseye. So nothing has changed, Ray. All the, all the laws today apply. Here's what I will say. The, the laws that are missed by most people in terms of knowing the sincere and serious philosophy of the law are the law of the iceberg, <clears throat> the law of the summit, which says your direction is a result of your perception. That's the failure law. And then the law of the hourglass. Everything else happens when you get those three laws done and then you layer it with accountability. So uh, I appreciate the question, but I wrote the book so that it would be true <laughs> 50 years after the day I wrote it. And so in That's part, it was one of the reasons why I asked the question. <laughs> like I love, so it's still a book I, I use as a reference and several times I'll pull it out and kind of read through it. If I'm kind of thinking on something specifically recently uh, with Justin, I've been kind of going through this 90 day period of intense focus and I actually relooked at the first law, the law of the iceberg and just seeing mm -hmm. what was below the surface and making sure all of that stuff was packed there and then deciding daily what task I should do from those, from everything else that's under it and not worrying so much about what other people see as the top of the tip of the iceberg, but knowing yeah. everything else down here is solid on the right track with the right heart and then deciding where to go from there. So really cool. Super purposeful. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the idea that, um, that, that you get good at laws, laws have consequences, right? Positive and negative. And the laws that guide this performance are the laws of human behavior. And if I'm, you know, Brian Tracy, one of my great friends, he was the guy that I grew up listening to audio tapes on and Jim Rohn, another one of my great friends, uh, obviously he's passed on. Um, I, I, I remember, I remember the idea that, you know, when you're clear on your why, which is your purpose, and, and you have dreams, then and only then can you start to establish the goals and seek the accountability to make the dreams come true. If your dreams are not based on a purposeful foundation, then you won't be able to hold to it. You won't have your own high level self-motivation. You will not go forward with um, balanced risk and an appetite towards failure. When, when, you, when you realize that 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 is the process purpose dreams goals actions accountability greatness that's it and if we don't do those first ones which is below the surface then the only thing people see is what we're doing above the surface which can be really radically different if you're not clear on that kind of below the surface foundation that's why it was called the iceberg is 10 percent of the iceberg you can see and 90 percent you can't well, thanks to Ray's foundation, I, I drank a battery by accident. It's a long story in a blender, but I was in an ambulance going to a hospital, talking to a doctor and I pitched both of them, my real estate purposes, because the foundation of the challenge was like, we have a goal we're trying to achieve. And it was second nature because I had clarity on that. So I definitely appreciate you popping in here, Ray, and love seeing your face as always. And thank you for reading the books, Ray. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Like awesome. I said, still use them as a reference. So I'll just leave everybody with that because I'll give the show back over to Justin. Thanks. <laughs> but uh, my, my one of my favorite quotes was it was uh, for you to be a satisfied, successful salesperson, you must first be a satisfied. Wait, for you to be a truly satisfied, successful salesperson, you must first be a satisfied, successful person. Person, right? uh, that's one right. of my favorite quotes from the book. So if you really kind of mull on that, it kind of blows your mind, but I appreciate you. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Justin. Yep. I mentioned community, right? And that's why, like, I mean, it's such a pleasure to be sitting down with you and getting to pick your brain. But when I see a friend like that, that is doing so much for the real estate community, I have to give him that floor and, and give him that love too. Cause I just saw him smiling and how fired up he was. And that made me happy. But I want to go back to you for a second. When you talk about clarity of purpose, right? You clearly have a lot of clarity of purpose. And I want to get to that. 
but did you always have a clarity of purpose or was there a time in your life where you didn't have the clarity that you have now? Yeah, well, I would think, first of all, the answer would obviously be yes. Otherwise, I'd be a fraud, right? I mean, I think everybody at some level is going to make a, a transition at some point that there's got to be a deeper reason. There's got to be a, you know, something that's a little bit more meaningful. And I think I began to make that transition in the mid to late 80s. Um, you know, I had been uh, doing business for going on you know, five years, six years or so, and and it was really scaling and um and i had a couple of moments where i wasn't really sure on how far i wanted to take this and what i really wanted to do with it and so i sat down with a life coach and i said you know what what should i be doing right now and and how can i activate a different level of motivation uh because because i'm doing well but i'm kind of losing the luster i'm kind of losing the the magic i mean i'm just i, I and i don't want to go from relationship to manufacturing deals and he said, you just got to you got to arrive at a deeper sense of being a deep, a deeper sense of, of purpose. And, and so he led me through this conversation. And at the end of a dialogue that started with this question, what's important about being successful to you? I had gotten to this really deep layer that I wake up every day and I was built to make a difference. So all I want to do is hone my skills, hone my disciplines. Um, do less things really, really well, where the absolute 100% intended outcome is to make a difference. And that's it. And so whether I'm working with sellers, investors, you know, doctors, physicians, you know, business owners, I've got a company that I'm going to be online with here in a half an hour that's got 600,000 agents, not real estate, but they're in the hair care business. You know, it's the same kind of thing. What is what is the vital purpose for which you were born? And when you have that, then you get through any of the tough times. You get to the good times faster. And the beauty about that is you end up being a little bit more boundary oriented about what you don't want to allow into your business and life because your purpose is the one thing that matters most. It's It deals with your integrity. It deals with your self-esteem. Every time you look in the mirror, if your purpose isn't being executed, you're going to feel less than. In some cases, you can put self-shame on you. The world is just our oyster. I mean, the economic universe is whatever we want to make it. But if I don't have clarity around why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I haven't gone through that conversation, then I'm going to say yes to a bunch of things I wish I had said no to. And so the, the second part of the answer is I'm more clear today than I was in the mid 80s. And I get clearer every single year um, because the only thing that matters to me, the only thing that matters is somebody someday from somewhere in the world every day tells us we made a difference. And then we celebrate that. You know, you get 30 emails in a day and 30 people are saying, you changed my life, you changed my life. There's no pride in that. That's what I was built to do. And I'm glad that you changed your life. All I did was arrive at a moment when you were open to hearing how you could do that. When, yeah. the, when the student's ready, the teacher appears, right? Always. And I mean, it's you're putting in the work, right? So people need to take that down and make a, a mental note of it. I'm going to ask you how you go about that process, right? Because being self-reflective and looking back and doing things and looking back and doing things is how I, I've done it in my life. And it's been integral in me realizing the type of people I want to be in biz with, business with, the type of business I actually want to go after. You talk about purpose and it's I wake up every day to serve. Right. When somebody asks us our mission statement today and it's do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. Literally, that's it. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I don't want to be famous, but I can connect guys like you with Ray. And maybe by proximity or butterfly effect, we save somebody or put somebody in a position they never would have been with. Right. So let's go back to that, though, because I, I want to unpack that a little bit because it does make a difference. It makes a difference for my clients. It makes a difference for everybody around me. How do you do that for yourself, right? Like, is it a yearly thing? Do you have a notepad? Do you keep goals on your board and then, you know, look back and reflect on it? Do you run to the desert for a week? Well, what does that look like in Todd's world? 
So the first thing is, uh, I just want to say, I think what you just said in terms of your purpose is biblical, right? It sounds like it's from Philippians and, uh, and that is awesome. Um, the, the process of discovery is, uh, it, it has to be noted that it is, a, it is a journey. You don't, you don't wake up one day and like lightning struck you and now you're purposeful, right? It's an ongoing journey. And so we go through an exercise and it's a life planning exercise. It takes about I don't know, minimum six hours. And if you really get after it, it could be a, an entire day. And I remember an early mentor, I was in a hotel room, there was probably 5,000 people learning from this guy. And, and he said, um, I wanna ask you a question. What's more important, um, the building you're in or your life? And everybody says, my life. And then, he, and then he said, so how long do you think it took to design this building. And nobody knows that, nobody's a planner or architect and you hear one year, two years, three years. And he goes, let's assume it took two years. Okay, two years to design the building that you just said is not as important as your life. And so the obvious connection is, um, okay, so have you spent two years designing your life and put your hands up if you have and not one hand? Have you spent, wow. you know, let's not do two years, let's do, let's do two months. Have you spent two months uninterrupted Okay, designing your life and put your hand up if you had and nobody did that. And he says, let's let's just go to two days. Have, have any of you in the room just gone on a two day sabbatical to design your life? And a couple of hands went up. It was like this telltale sign that most of the world that's trying to su succeed has not designed the pathway of what that looks like. So for me, it starts with vision boards. My quote growing up, my quote today is by Henry David Thoreau. If man advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life he's imagined, he will meet with success unexpected in common hours. Take he out, put her in. It doesn't matter. If we advance confidently, okay, which is skill, in the direction of our dreams, which is vision, and we endeavor, which is attempt to live the life that we are imagining, we will meet meet with success faster than anybody who doesn't follow that process. So my wife and I have a three foot by five foot vision board in our bathroom. And every time we're staring in the mirror, brushing our teeth or getting ready for the day or getting ready to go to bed, this vision board is behind us. And it's got everything we wanna do in the decade that we're currently in. And then all the goals come off of that. And then all the accountability come off the goals that come off of that. And when we start to stray, it's like, I've got at least two reminders every day looking at this vision board that we're straying here, or, or maybe we need to do something differently here. And it's very interesting. Only 1.7% of people surveyed in the last six months have a vision for their life that extends five years out, 2%. And so the rest are just kind of, the rest are just kind of doing it. They're just kind of there, right? And you could succeed by showing up, but it doesn't have the joy and doesn't have the fulfillment and probably doesn't have the scalability that it does when you're very, very focused. And I look at my vision board um, at least two times a day. If I'm out of town, I got it on my phone. I got it on my laptop. Um, my, my coaching sessions with my life coach are all about my vision board. Um, Deb has one as my wife that leads up to our big one. I have one as the husband that leads up it involves our two boys. I mean, without vision, this is biblical, right? King Solomon, richest man ever. If he were alive today, he'd be worth $2 trillion, more than Bezos, more than Gates, more than Musk, more than all those dudes combined. And what he said is he said, where there's no vision, the people will perish. And so you look at that and you go, what pulls people forward through tough times? What pulls people forward through the valleys that... If we're setting goals, we're going to hit valleys. It's just, I mean, the safest way not to have a valley is not to set a goal and just cruise, right? Yeah. But the valleys are what make the peaks so enjoyable and so fulfilling and, and all of that. So vision drives everything. And then we can start to have accountability around that. So I think it's, you know, it's, it's a big deal. It is a really big deal to see people that are rudderless show up every day trying to succeed, but they do not have laser focus because they're not clear on their purpose. And they, they almost look at it with disdain, right? That's part of the problem. I think the majority right. of people are, are rudderless in that capacity. And it's when you get around people that you see accomplishing the things that you want to accomplish are giving you the blueprint, but you have to actually put it into effect. You're, there's no easy button. 
Um, the opposite of what you just explained in terms of having the vision and the purpose and working towards a skill set and success is the other quote by Thoreau that man will lead a life of quiet desperation, right? Like if I make say that quote, how many thousands of people can say that they're living that right now? People in my industry that sell a lot of houses, maybe optically look, make a lot of money, but they don't actually have a business and they come home and they're burnt out and they're tired. Their family life is suffering. They're not putting their faith, their family, their fitness ahead of say their finances and their finances are struggling because they're not in a place to compete with a guy like you or myself because they haven't put in the work to create the structure, right? Discipline equals freedom. You, I could literally do this for four hours with you and talk about <laughs> unpacking what that looks like, but it excites me quite a bit to hear you say that. Well, I think it's it's really important um, to understand what you just said. You know, if we if we go back to just the guidance of ancient scripture, you know, one of the great great pieces of of uh, words that that I've kind of parked on is he who neglects discipline despises himself. And what what that means is when you're unclear on your purpose, when you're unclear on your why, which is your motive, you will not do the things you know that you and I use this word cautiously, should do, because I don't want you to shit on yourself. But when you know you're not doing what you should be doing, it is going to be tied to two things. You're not clear on your purpose. Okay. And what's going to end up happening is the longer you do that, the less you're going to feel confident about yourself. And the endorphins like dopamine and oxytocin and, you know, endorphins and serotonin and all those kinds of things those come through action. Those come by being excited about what you're going to do. And part of excited, excitement about what you're going to do is you have less fear because you know how to do it. So there's a different layer of confidence. And then every time you win, that same reflection in the mirror is a positive jolt instead of a negative jolt. And I think that, Justin, gets down to the end game. The end game is this is your life. The end game is you're able to control most of what will impact your life. You need to give up control of the things you're trying to control that you're never going to be able to control and let them go. You got to master the art of surrender and flow. You got to have curiosity about what works <clears throat> and then you got to go after it. And the better you get at business, the better life gets for you. And if we start to understand that, that there is a relationship between hours worked, <clears throat> revenue made, then the goal should be, how do I maximize revenue, not through selling, but through value creation. And ancient scriptures tell us that the generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The way to win in the market is add value, add value. And the best value you can add is value at the heart, the emotional level. Yeah, service is great, doing the deal the right way, not having any speed bumps or hiccups, those are all good. But at the end of the day, okay, the way to win is to give. And if you give and you give and you give and your motive is to give, there is a point in time, Robert Cialdini, the author of Influence says, where the law of reciprocity kicks in. Take the spotlight off of you, put it on the client, be joyful and honored that you get to serve. Yeah. Don't try to close the deal. Try to connect at the heart deeper. And then all of a sudden business comes your way. And, and, and when people start to put the word out that you're awesome, not because of how you sell, but you're awesome because of the value you provide. Then all of a sudden people start ringing you instead of you having to prospect them. And that's a much much different kind of lead, if you will. It's not even really a lead. It's a referral and conversion is high then. So we got to, man, let, here's the deal. Focus on the emotional connection and 80% of the time there and then spend 20% of the time on the economics of the deal. Okay, Most people have it the other way around. They spend 80% of the time on the economics of the deal and only 20% of the time connecting at the heart change that and your conversion will triple. Amen to that. I think you hit the nail on the head and we're going to bring this all back to, to full circle to this is what creates trust, right? If you have a client that listened to everything that you just said and saw how purposeful you were in your work, they understand what you're working towards. Right. They're not looking for an easy button. They're looking for a relationship that'll create wealth. The mindset that we have with our clients and our partners, you talk about the ones we are very selective. 
I don't want the builder that wants me as the easy button because they just see that I have a big audience and we can bring people in and you know they're having a tough time selling. I want people that understand I'm I'm a little crazy that way. I'm obsessing about what their problems are over and beyond market factors, right? Is it, you know, they're closing 80 properties and the the communication lines with all of those people are causing an influx of phone calls to their staff and they just want to build. They don't want to deal with phone calls. Awesome. I'll fix that problem. Todd Duncan, what is he looking for? What's his moonshot? What's on his vision board? What do I have that can fix those problems to no gain of myself? And only through the work do you gain the trust only by serving Todd Duncan and thinking, you know, the proximity to Ray, I get no financial pay from that is maybe something that will help him accomplish that. So can you wrap this up before we get to the rapid fire question about how everything you just explained is integral in attaining trust and why trust is that cherry on top that changes your life? Yeah. So, you know, the, the idea on trust, um, is the idea that it is the big disruptor. It's the market differentiator. Um, it starts with trusting yourself. You have to trust yourself, which is all about purpose and skills and, and getting, getting game ready. And so when you trust yourself, then you go outward from that and you're able to create trust in a different way by asking different sets of questions. And uh, my mentor told me early on, he said, if you don't want competition, go where they aren't ask the questions they don't ask and deliver the value they don't deliver. And I started to realize that that really is the selling model. The selling model is you don't sell anything. Uh, the selling model is you help people win. And when you help people win, they say, yes, here's the interesting thing. When we try to do business with tension high and trust low, we're in a very resistant environment. We have a lot of objections. We have a lot of, I'm going to think about it. We got a lot about, I'm going to talk to somebody else. I'm going to talk to four agents, whatever it is. The goal is to remove tension. And then that creates the space for trust. And so when you, when you start to think about like, like I would say to a borrower, um, most borrowers would be happy for me to quote them an interest rate and give them the fee sheet on what it will take to transact the deal that they have in mind. I'm different than any lender out there because while I can help you do that, I've got to figure out what your long and short-term financial and investment goals are, what your payment goals are, your equity goals, and your cash flow objectives. And if we can do that, then I can design the right mortgage product for you. Otherwise, what I quote you and what I give you doesn't have any impact whatsoever. And that changes everything because it's not about me selling you. It's about, I'm going to help you manage your mortgage for life. I'm going to help you manage your real estate portfolio for life. We need to get to know each other now. And sometimes it doesn't mean immediate deals. My best real estate agent took 18 months, Justin, from the time I met her to the time she finally gave me a buyer referral. And all I did for 18 months was give her ideas that would help her sell more real estate. That's all I did. I just, I just tsunamied her with value, like twice a week, three times a week. It was like, she starts to think, I'm not even giving this guy any referrals and he's helping me financially change my life. And the guy that I'm giving my loans to isn't doing any of that. Boom. That's all it is. You know, value, 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 value. What does Gary Vaynerchuk say? Jab, 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 hook, value, 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 ask. Ask without value, you get a no. Value first, you get a yes. And you listen. That's the difference too, right? You listen and you listen. probably remember. <laughs> listen, Justin, I say, listen. Okay, here you go. Here's the recipe, right? This is so beautiful. Listen with the intent to solve. Do not listen with the intent to sell. You've got to listen. You've got to active listening means you're listening for actions that you can offer and that you can present that are specifically to what they told you. That's where the hit and miss is. And that's how you get more people to stay with you longer, to refer you more, and to be loyal. Loyalty is a two-way street, man. If you don't know what people need, they're going to find it somewhere else. People talk about disruption in our industry all the time. And uh, I, I just don't put up with it, to be frank with you. Uh, my, my response to disruption is the only disruption out there to me is an Amazon coming in and getting into the game and just buying everything. But the difference with that is they can't compete with me and talk. They can't because Amazon's about profit. We're about people. People over profits wins every single time because again, the deal and the math only gets you so far. So you're all about the art. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire questions, Todd, and we're going to get you all out right. of here because I know you got another meeting. 
So we'll try and make them short and concise answers so we can honor your time. But what is the greatest lesson that you've learned in business? Uh, greatest lesson I've learned in business is delegate with the intent to empower um, and do not delegate with the intent to overload. Uh, I've just learned that if I can empower people to the vision goals, then it's a it's it's a wing. It's not a weight. I love it. Um, what are you learning right now? Um, right now, what I'm learning is I'm learning the concept of flow. And by what I mean by that is I have gone from business planning to curiosity living and learning. And so I've changed my entire methodology from putting business plans together and running the plan to having loosely laid plans and anticipation for the curiosity of what's next. I'll give you an example. Well, I, I won't because these are no, short. No, no, and give me the example. I, no, but last last year COVID hits, and we usually yeah. have an event. We usually have an event in September that has three thousand people. Last year COVID hits, and we're going. Okay, we can't control this. You know, I don't think anybody's going to get on an airplane and fly in September. So what do we do? So we made this massive pivot, and in six months we went from not being able to hold the event live, and for twenty five hundred people to doing it digitally at level 10 with the Netflix studio and having 44,000 people from nine countries attend. I could have never planned for that. Curiosity had to be the, like, what's good about COVID right now? If you're a learning company, well, all of a sudden we hit nine countries and 44,000 people and nobody had to fly anywhere. And it was a home run. Curiosity, curiosity, curiosity. I need to introduce you to my friend, Scott McGilvery. Um, they made a shift as well. We speak at their conferences twice a year. Typically it's an investor summit. They made a shift when digital, we were all like, Oh, it's not the in-person. It's not the belly and belly. The reviews of that summit were the best of all we've ever had in seven yeah. years, which is just crazy. Um, how has failure shaped your life? Um, I used to be embarrassed about failure because I was a success coach. And I bought a massive leadership company in two years. It bled me almost dry. Like I, I think I lost close to $12 million in personal assets. And I had to make some really, really hard choices. And I felt really, really like I didn't feel transparent um, to be able to share with an audience that I had just failed at a level colossally that might take me five or six or seven or 10 years to come back from. And, um, and I remember going through that and I remember, um, this idea that, that, um, you can actually, if you see failure as a gift, you can actually change the entire psychology of failure. And so Darren Hardy called me and he said, I know that you had some really tough times as a business owner. Um, can I do an interview with you on failure? And it's the first time I ever got asked to do anything on failure and, I said, okay. And I felt really vulnerable. I felt vulnerable because I was going to basically lay it all out. What were the mistakes I made? What would I do differently? And how am I surviving? How am I getting through it? And, and all of that. And uh, when we were done with the interview, um, he told me that this is the best interview I think we've ever done for entrepreneurs. It's still in his curriculum today, my story, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. Um, we had over 6 million downloads on failure. So, so if I'm as a teacher and author teaching you my own failures and being super authentic and super transparent with you. And oh, by the way, Justin, in at the end of that journey, my wife died from cancer. So how, how do you stay upright when you have this colossal weight of having to move forward, becoming a single dad, you know, overnight, um, having a business that you've had to lay off 70 people, you know, and, and how do you, how do you embrace failure? And my most positive impact that I've been making for the last decade is because of the decade before when I bought a company I shouldn't have bought and I put a bunch of money into it. I shouldn't have put into it but I learned a huge lesson and we're bigger, better, stronger, faster, profitable, more profitable than ever. So failure is a really good thing. Light day, right? Sun, moon, um, cold, hot, fast, slow, success, failure. They're all part of the bookends, right? So you, you yeah. said earlier on the perspective piece, right? Like everybody, they ride the roller coaster for 30 seconds and not memorable. They go for a camping trip or it rains for three days straight and they talk about that trip for the rest of their life. So tell right. me failure isn't something that you do appreciate. <laughs> Who do you know that I should know? Is there somebody out there that you think would speak to me or, or the audience here in terms of somebody they can go follow and get some inspiration from? 
There's a guy that I really uh, like right now. His name is Joel Mamby, and and Joel is the CEO that that um, actually spearheaded the SeaWorld tobacco tobacco during um, during Blackfish and the whole Orca thing. He's really got he's got a book out called. Um, uh, I just, I just lost the, uh, the title, um, love works. Okay. And it's all about the seven principles that leaders need to have today to build a culture of love. So I, I, I like, I like him a lot. Um, I just finished, uh, Reed Hastings book on, uh, Netflix, no rules rules. And, uh, you know, it's a very, very powerful, no rules rules, very, very powerful book. So we need to connect, connect you with him. He's a, he's a, it's just an amazing story. So those are two that come right to the top of my head. And then my favorite leadership trainer and my best friend in leadership is John Maxwell. And, uh, you know, make sure you hang out with John Maxwell. He's 74 years old, has commanded leadership authority all over the world is a, is a guy that just rocks, rocks. Two, rock, two rock. of my buddies, Jason and that David Benham, actually, I've worked for him for a period of time. And actually the questions I'm asking you for rapid fire, I save this till the end. Usually are John Maxwell's questions. They're the <laughs> ones that he uses when he goes to meet mentors and people and tries to, to really pull it in. And they're my framework for prime people, because I mean, I don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? John's an incredible leader. Everybody go check him out. And you answer my next question, which is what book to go read. So last but not least, my man, and shout out to John Maxwell for this question. How can I add value to Todd? How can I tell my audience to connect with you? Is there a passion project you're working on that you want everybody to go like and comment on? How can we you know, give you some love for all the love you showed our audience today? No, oh, well, I, I appreciate that. I don't, I don't have a measurement around that, but all my social coordinates are Todd Duncan official. So just hang out there, whether it's Facebook, uh, you know, YouTube or Instagram, um, Twitter's Todd's tweets. Um, the way you can help me is just tell one person that you use something I taught you and it changed your life. And, and that's, that's what I look for. Um, I'm trying to learn faster than anybody that I lead. And I'm trying to learn faster than anybody that I ask to invest in themselves through our company. Because I think that if I can lead and I can learn faster than the people that are following me learn, then I will always be in business. And I think that's the key. You know, you got to keep learners are earners, earners are learners. And the minute you stop learning, you're dead. It just might take three or four years to really feel the death. So kind of where I'm at. <laughs> Man, talk about leaving us on a cliffhanger and a quote. I wish I had like a, a clapping audience cheer button ready on this stream yard. But yeah, Todd, I appreciate you so much, brother. This was one of my favorite episodes by far. I'll definitely be resharing this and pointing everybody in your direction. Have a great meeting and we will connect again in the future, I'm sure. Honored to hang out with you. Thanks for the time. See ya. Awesome, Todd. Take care.